On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. I'm going to get stuck into the front pages of today's papers. I'm starting off with the Sunday Independent. Body cams must be able to ID faces, says Garda Chief. That's Commissioner Harris intervening in a long running dispute with the coalition about the use of body cams for Gardaí. And over on the right hand column is Houlihan's Trinity job. Procedures were not followed. This is about a long delayed report about former Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan's uh, move to Trinity College. And the Sunday Times, uh, the lead headline there is Hutch Verdict, Gardaí poised for more arrests and also announcing a new columnist for the Sunday Times, Alison O'Connor, this week and a fantastic photograph on the front page of Sligo jockey Derek Fox, obviously from yesterday's Grand National. Now, turning to the Sunday Business Post, we've got the lead headline, which is Taxman Name and Shame at Risk. This is about a landmark EU ruling that's now being examined by Revenue and Finance uh, about the implications for Irish revenue commissioners. And also another sub story revealed the real reason that David Mac Redmond was ruled out of the top RT job. We're going to be turning to those stories later. And finally, from your front pages today is the Mail on Sunday and it's Finnegale Fury at Leo's housing blunder. This is about Finnegale TD's seething at Leo Leo Vradkar over the Taoiseach's vow to take control of the housing crisis. Another thing that we'll touch on on today's programme. And helping me to go through these papers now, I'm joined by Natasha Fennell of Stillwater Communications and also Professor Gary Murphy from DCU. Thank you both very much for being in studio with me today. Hi, Mandy. Good to see you, Mandy. Now, Gary, I'm going to start off with you, if I can, about the Biden visit. You've been writing about that in today's newspapers. It's not exactly front page, but it is in every single newspaper. It's hard to kind of get away from it. There's no common theme other than the Biden visit in, in all of today's Sunday newspapers. Yeah, and the uh, the coverage ranges uh, from a very personal piece by uh, Joe Brawley, who was at the, in the Sunday Independent, who was at the uh, at the state banquet, and uh, he <coughs> writes of uh, bantering basically with the uh, with the president uh, to um, some more sort of uh, hardened uh, political pieces. There's a good piece by I think by John Lee in the uh, in the Mail on Sunday. Biden is not anti-British; he's pro-Irish and. Arlene Foster and every other member of the DUP mm. needs to uh, to realise that is is John's um, uh, analysis, and I think that could also be you know spread to the rather bizarre coverage of the visit in the uh, in the British newspapers, uh, the Telegraph, uh, the Times, uh, uh, and others. It's just been slightly surreal, really, mm. to to read to just a. Uh, it's like something they're trying. It's like they're painting an Ireland of the nineteen fifties. It really shows no uh, uh, no general cop on it seems yeah. to me of how uh, the modern Irish state uh, uh, works uh, there's a good colour piece and uh, uh, by Claire Scott in the Sunday Times over two pages of the uh, recording the visit uh, so there, yeah there's a lot of good stuff I mean like there's two ways I think of looking at the visit it certainly uh, was a very personal visit uh, for President Biden I mean he is just one and his family are just one of hundreds of thousands well thousands of Americans who come every year to do what uh uh, what the Bidens do, which is to find their ancestors and wander around and, you know, have a few beers and uh, take it easy. And uh, and Ireland has been encouraging Americans to do that for uh, for decades. And then I think there is the uh, there's the politics. There's two parts of the politics, it seems to me. One is very much an Irish part linked to 
first of all the celebration commemoration of the uh, of the Good Friday Agreement of which the United States uh, played a crucial role and there is a lot of discussion mm. again in the papers uh, my DCU colleague Ono Mali in the Sunday Independent Declan Power in the uh, in the Sunday Times talk uh, of the importance of the United States uh, to Ireland and we know how reliant maybe over reliant we are on American foreign direct investment one only has to look at Apple and Cork uh, Intel in, in Leakslip, you know, all across mm. the state, uh, pharmaceutical companies, the social media companies here in uh, in Dublin, Mandy. Um, Daniel Murray has a good piece again in the Business Post um, looking at that. And then there is, of course, the, uh, the American election and the great sort of, you know, imponderable still of whether Joe Biden will, um, uh, will declare. I mean, he was the oldest person ever to run in 2020 and he will be older still in 2024 there are some democrats who think that he is too old um and that uh you know it's um that is a difficulty now in my view there's really nobody else in the democratic yeah. party who might uh, be able to step up and take the mantle so there is that would, and the images i think would play very well back home in the united states it's not everywhere uh, in the world or even in Europe that uh, an American president could go and be greeted with uh, waving you know cheering crowds and waving stars and, and stripes I mean the irony of the, the visit and the, 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 the sort of the, the secret service is that this is probably the safest place he could possibly be in uh, uh, in uh, in Europe I think or in yeah. the world perhaps Absolutely lots to, to get through there there's lots of uh, pieces in the, the Sunday newspapers focusing on focusing on all different elements. But Natasha, looking at this from the government's point of view, mm. um, it's something a government would love, isn't it? Like a, a president coming with all his entourage. They're not in the doll. They're out there shaking hands exactly where we're politicians want to be. What stood out for you this week in terms of this visit? Did you think that Biden did a good job? Uh, do you know, I, I, do you know as I was coming in this morning, I was thinking to myself, where do you even start? Honestly, because there's so much to take away from this visit, visit on so many levels. The first place I start with, Amanda, is identity, that sense of identity in place. And I think Joe Biden really, really expressed that really well. And it was evident in his every pore. And I think it's something that we take for granted hugely here in Ireland, knowing where we are, who we belong to, what tribe we belong to, what county. So identity, I think, was really, really important. To go, to go into what, how we handled it as a country, you know, we do state visits so well, Mandy. And I was really, really proud of how we did everything so beautifully from the Auras through to Mayo, through to, indeed, back into uh, Leinster House, into the Dáil. I thought the Con Corlea gave a fantastic speech. He did, I thought yeah. he was excellent. I thought he blended the um, the warmth of, that he is himself with uh, huge diplomacy with regard to, to Biden's visit. I just loved the Dáil with the grown men all their suits swinging in one direction all ploughing each yeah. other to get a hand and to get a corner in with with the, with um, with Biden but just the other thing about the doll as well is it was really great to see and I think it did serve them very well all of everybody from Mary McAleese to to um, Bertie Ahern through to Jerry Adams all sitting in the back all having been part and hugely instrumental mm. in, in the in the Good Friday Agreement and seeing them there on the day you know Gary um OK, Joe Biden did look a bit like 
Darby O'Gill's grandfather at times, you know. And I learned a lot about his communication skills within mm. his family because they certainly talked to each other a lot, didn't they? There was constant references to to keep the faith, Joey, and, you know, all, all of the banter that went on with his house. But on a serious note, and you're writing about this today, like the support of the American government is crucial for us mm. and has been crucial for us, not just with the Good Friday Agreement, but with Brexit of late. So you're writing about that today. Yeah. There's a serious, serious side to all of this. Oh, there is, of course. I mean, like the Good Friday Agreement, I think, to be blunt, uh, wouldn't have happened when it did um, without the uh, influence of the United States and without, I think, the personal uh, impact of uh, Bill Clinton. I remember in DCU, we gave an honorary doctor to, I think you were there, Mandy, uh, to Bill Clinton back in uh, 2017. And uh, I had former students writing to me and current students saying, mm. oh, it was a disgrace uh, for a whole variety of reasons, um, all of which I answered and said, you know, this man was really important in negotiating peace uh, in Ireland. Uh, you know, the visa for Jerry Adams against the hostility of the British and of the State Department. Um, and the, the Good Friday Agreement, it's not to say it's perfect. Of course, it's not. It's imperfect. Like all, all peace agreements in one way are are, are, are compromises. Um, but it certainly wouldn't have happened when it did without the United States. Then we have the foreign direct investment that uh, that we spoke about. And the United States has also played a very crucial role, as you said, in uh, in Brexit, in supporting uh, the Irish government and in support in terms of its, its EU membership and sticking with the EU 2020. 26. Um, so in that context, uh, there is a lot. Uh, there is a lot. There was a lot of politics, uh, I think, uh, going on uh, as well. Um, and yeah, it, 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 you know, for from the Irish perspective, four days, um, three days really, with the uh, with the president of the uh, the United States, the leader of the free world, notwithstanding the sort of petulance of people before profit uh, not uh, showing up. I'm sure that really wounded uh, President Biden. Or indeed, uh, or indeed, uh, Jeffrey Donaldson didn't well, turn up to Leinster House as it happens. And I think mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a whole. You're, you're so right. Of course, there's a serious side to this. I think Northern Ireland. I do think we were talking about this beforehand. I do think the way they handled the Sunak. I think the the the, the handshake of Sunak and that um, that meeting. I don't think it worked. Mm. I think it didn't do justice. In fairness to Sunak and in France to Britain. I think it was handled badly. That said, what I really, really felt about the the North and and his visit and as much as, you know, absolutely, this is absolutely, and this is one of the biggest reasons, obviously, that is on his agenda with regard to the North. Northern Ireland is a really good showcase for for America to show. Guess what? We came over, we helped, and guess what? Twenty five years later, it's still sticking because there aren't many examples that they can yeah. actually show. And it's actually, of where it is that, sticking, that's such you a know? good point. I, yeah. d- I think a lot of people don't understand the value that American politicians place on Absolutely. their role in the Good Friday Agreement. And you know, George Mitchell will be uh, yes. a huge part of the celebrations in Belfast this week. But before I get on to that Northern Ireland section, bit, mm. Natasha, I just want to pick up on something you said mm. um, and that really came across in the coverage I think on Friday not so much in the newspaper today but Balana looked absolutely spectacular on Friday night they did it so well didn't they I just get you know I even get emotional honestly it's, I know it's ridiculous it is ridiculous it is there was something <laughs> there was something that's what I'm saying there's something about that homecoming um, that was is very is so positive and you know what it is it's an injection of positivity that we all got this week and when Biden you know there's something to be said about the messaging that he uses which is really simple instead of Trump's kind of fear putting fear into us you know what he uses is messaging of hope and we're kind of not used to that in Ireland we're not used to our government telling us we're great and we always we tend to be negative about how our yeah, own country we're, is we're, we're not he, used to it but we, lo- we he absolutely love hearing it and bounced onto that we love hearing yeah. it Mandy 
We also love being hearing how fantastic we are and how deep, deep need is being fed to be told how great we are. We have a deep, deep need of validation and love. Um, and Biden gave us that in spades. So not only did he come bounce onto the stage, by the way, his energy on that stage in the evening was formidable, having spent the last previous days, you know, going from appointment to appointment. Balana looked amazing and it really, really showcased how we as Irish are really good at giving a big warm welcome and acknowledging what America has done for us. He was like an old Irish chieftain politician, yeah. really. Hockey did it in his prime. Uh, he like an old Irish chieftain shaking hands. I was very struck in Dundalk when he was introduced to an old woman uh, uh, called Mary O'Rourke, I think, and he said, oh, I'm Gene Finnegan's son. It was yes, a very yes, sort yeah. of, uh, he could see Hockey and others doing that. Uh, Bertie Hearn was great at it, of course, in his pomp. Uh, but a very few politicians can get away with it and pull it off without no. looking sort of kitsch, but uh, exactly. he did. Well, I, I had the privilege, actually, as part of my research for today's show, I went up to Ursanuktharan. I took myself up there at all hours of the morning and I stood a couple of feet away from him. I have to say, look, I know he's elderly, but he is very charismatic. And the word that I kept coming back to is he, he seems he's very genuine. Yeah. And, and you can't fake that. I think that. That, that really. And, you know, there's a couple of things you look for when you're looking to a leader. You know, you're looking for credibility and looking for relate, relatability. He absolutely has the relate, relatability factor. I think also his way of just being the, I don't know, but the ordinary, the, the, the saying hello, the ordinary person that you can totally relate to. And you can imagine yourself sitting, having a drink with them or having a cup of coffee with them. So I think he did that extremely well, but I think he is actually the real deal when it comes to that, yeah. for sure. Gary, now uh, the government may have loved last week, but it won't take long before they're brought very swiftly back down to earth. If you just look at the front page of the Daily Mail today, it's going to be back to business as usual very quickly uh, for them as they return to uh, Dáil and after the Easter break. Page one of the Mail then, Fine Gael Fury at Leo's housing blunder. Um, are we picking up where we left off on the eviction ban? Do you see that resurrecting itself? I do. Uh, I mean, this is a story by John Drennan and uh, and John Lee, both of who have their sort of, uh, you know, their nose close to uh, to the ground. It comes on the back of a terrible poll in last week's Sunday Times for uh, Fine Gael at 15%. Uh, and it's last week, but I was writing the point is 15% is meltdown territory. Mm. And there's a very good uh, inside analysis by... Uh, uh, by John Lee uh, on the TDs seats at uh, at risk all across, literally from South Dublin to uh, to deepest uh, deepest Donegal and Cork, um, and it's all and there's an anonymous uh, Fine Gaelic quoted saying that uh, housing is destroying us in in Middle mm. Ireland, and is it indeed it is it is it was the number two issue, funnily enough, in the twenty um, twenty general election, just a percent, a twenty four percent, just a percentage behind uh, health in the in the exit polls. It's now m- more than that. It'll probably be, uh, I think, on most people's mind when they go to cast uh, their ballot in the whatever it was twenty four or twenty five general uh, election, and the um, and and the story on, on the front page of the, of the Mail on Sunday is about Leo supposedly taking charge. So mm. which one could say? You know, it's obviously Dara O'Brien. It's a Fianna Fáil minister. So there's coalition tensions there. And one could say, well, Leo has been the leader of Fianna Gael since 2017. He's been in power since 2017 as, uh, as Taoiseach and, and Tánaiste. It's now 2023. You know, it's, isn't it a bit late perhaps to be um, taking control? And I, I think this is the point that Fianna Gael realised there are, you know, we are in meltdown territory. Yeah. Let something changes in 
in the next 18 months. Natasha, housing is a very sticky issue. It's very pervasive in the political system. Uh, what do you make of this? Do you think Fine Gael, uh, have kind of run out of excuses that they've been in charge for so long. Way is that beyond, why been way beyond excuses. Absolutely have so run out of road, Mandy. It's quite extraordinary that we've ended up here. It is. And, and you know, it did strike me when Biden was in Ireland, how there's this painting, this picture of a Disneyland Ireland that we're all happy clappy. In fact, under this, like you don't have to go out, you go out your front door and you see the reality of what's happening in the housing. I don't know if there is the will. And this is the issue where there is a will, there is a way. And if Fiona Gael did nothing else when they came into government was to go, we'll fix one thing and we'll fix it this time, which is, which is apparently, which I didn't realise, what Radka had said and hence him putting himself at that helm. Well, I think he'll be he'll be eating his words. It's an absolutely it's not surprising that they're at 15 percent. It has affected absolutely everybody in this country in so many different ways. And it's only and as that article says, as the, as the coverage says, it's not about the homeless anymore. And this is where the TDs are coming out in, in force going. It's about our neighbours. It's about our people we, we meet on the street. It's about my 30 year old daughter. It's about mm. it's affecting absolutely everybody. Gary, you were writing about this last week. You think that this is 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 a fairly substantial moment for Fine Gael in terms of their reduction in the polls, and also maybe that Leo's lost a bit of his luster. A bit of his luster, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, Leo Varadkar when he was appointed, and I have great respect for him in many ways. I, I'm very critical of him in, in other ways, and you know, that's my job as a sort of a commentator to call it as we uh, any of us to call it as as we uh, see it. But Fine Gael have had no political bones uh, from Leo Varadkar becoming leader in in 2017. The 2020 election, let's disaster. be frank, was a disaster for them, and they're going only one way since, and that is down. And what's happened, of course, is the car the correlation is that Sinn Fein are going up. I mean, they were at 24 percent in the Paul Sinn Féin at uh, 2020 general election, Fine Gael were at 22, uh, Sinn Féin or anywhere between sort of 33 and 37, depending on which poll, but they're rock steady in the 30s and that'll get them 60 odd seats. And mm. if Fine Gael are at 15%, no, it could be, that's lower than in any other poll, but even if they were at 18%, I mean, Fianna Fáil at 17% got 20 seats in 2011. Um, and if you're at, you know, 20 seats, that is just, it would be an absolute disaster for a party that has in one way given so much to the state, but is, is foundering on this rock of uh, of housing. Absolutely. And it doesn't help them that Ono Bryn has been very strong from Sinn Féin with regard to um, housing, whether we disagree or agree, you know, he happens to be very knowledgeable when it comes to housing and that Sinn Féin are now talking about obviously trying to solve this problem by building thousands of houses if they get into politics if they get into power Well so, this, this idea of building houses we saw Vanna Batchik at her uh, annual yeah. conference a couple of weeks well, talking about a million which seen the figure kind of plucked really out of the year That backfired on her oh, very like, much so, no I credibility think, you know? in some no. of these very quick fix plans yeah. no. I'm just going to take a few of your texts before we go to the ad break I find your coverage of the Biden visit very pro-democratic while it's important to respect the visit of any foreign leader the coverage of all outlets has been very non-critical and that's from Carl now we will be looking at this um, Mm. in greater detail later on in the show uh, with other guests so I I take your point Carl Um, and also the the success of the Biden visit will do nothing for the government your guest is absolutely right housing will be the rock that this government perishes on so says Gary and Natasha um, we're going to pick up on that story in a lot of the newspapers states in the Sunday Times and also the Sunday Business Post about RTE. Tell us what they're saying. Yeah, there's trouble in RTE. Um, John Walt has a really good article in the Sunday Business Post. It's covered in the other papers as well, but this is one I mainly read. 
with regard to the recruitment process and what has not worked, um, unfortunately, um, for RTE, doesn't bode well, with regard to the recruitment process of their new DG. And as we know, D Forbes is leaving in July. Um, <clears throat> and so they had a recruitment um, process. Shunya Rahale, who is the chairperson of RTE now, the new chairperson who was formerly of TG Kahaj, um, was part of a panel and they interviewed and um, McRedmond, David McRedmond, who, as we know from Unpost and previous from TV3, uh, went through the interview process and didn't apparently make it to the second interview. And then Kevin Bakhurst, um also interviewed and he has been picked. Now, we don't know actually how many people actually went for the job. Um, but we know these are the two people that will be named. Anyway, when Nirahala went to the board to put Bakhart's name forward, it was, she got pushed back and it was disputed. So there's a big mess. Mm. Now Bakhart has to go, dreadful situation to now present to the board nearly to justify his appointment. Um, and she now has been asked to come, as in Nirahala has been asked to come and sit in front of the Arts Committee on, on Media next week. So it doesn't, I mean, look, it was leaked. The problem with it as well is there was a leaked Sunday Business Post um, and they got the story last week, I think, with regard to who that McRedmond hadn't made it through. He was up for the job. He, he applied for the job back in 2016 when D Forbes was appointed, um, as had Backhurst, actually. Both of them had. And yeah. neither of them were appointed, but McRedmond had been talked about as a potential. Now, it's really important to say, like, just because, you know, there's a profile out there doesn't mean that nobody is saying anything regarding the, to the to the to the to the candidates. I'm saying that understanding the context of how broadcasting has changed and RT as a public service is no this is no easy job. This person will need a blend of commercial, editorial, political, um, nuance, understanding, they need all of that combination and very few people have that mm. um, and very few people have that in a public service broadcast uh, environment. So so it's a, going to be a very, very difficult job to to do, yes. never mind filling. Yes, and indeed the chairperson, as you referenced, there is going to be before the Oireachtas Committee this week. Gary, the media love nothing more than talking about each other and themselves. Um, but there is a very serious editorial in your own newspaper today about the importance of broadcasting in general as well. Alison O'Connor, your new columnist, has a piece about politics and broadcast in the media. What and do the you Irish make Hanlon has one in the Sunday Independent mm, yeah. on the back page, a very uh, carefully uh, <coughs> nuanced uh, and analytical uh, piece there. Um, yeah, the national broadcast is more vital than ever in our world, says the editor in the Sunday Times, which I think has it about right now. It is a colossal mess, um, you know, because of in one way the leaking. Um, there's a very good story by Killian Woods in the Business Post uh, on Post Boss, seen to be too entrepreneurial uh, to lead RTE, uh, whereas Backers seen of course as but he was in charge of um, news and had uh, been a kind of a safe editorial uh, hand but as Ailish O'Hanlon points out one of the big problems for RT is that there's very few young people tuning into it um, either on uh, TV or radio or on its online at platforms, Alison O'Connor talks about the demoralised uh, staff, the weakened uh, chairwoman um, in, in her piece, which uh, ponders the question of RT Power Games will reach a whole new level once Sinn Féin um, enters the scene, if Sinn Féin was to take power after the next election or be the leaders of a uh, of a coalition. But it's always a very bad look if uh, a person is presented to a, a board and basically rejected. And that's what's happened. Uh, Alison speculates, would Backer Stephen takes the job, as does John Walsh uh, in the 
business post and I think there you know would, would it be worth the grief knowing that if you have at least it's, the speculation is there are three people on the board of RTE who don't want uh, backers who wanted uh, Mac Redmond who comes with a different uh, profile but you know if he presented himself to the uh, the interview would or not I've been on like loads of interview boards over the years and uh to have your view then second guessed by by the board is not mm. a, not a good look for either the interview board or those who applied for the position, especially the person who was appointed, who was recommended but, seems, but wasn't appointed. <clears throat> yeah, but it's, but it seems the process. I mean, there's there's a process that should always be in place before a public appointment, and that process should have been signed off and clear. And it seems it would seem like that wasn't followed. So hence then the kind of board being slightly blindsided by the fact this person is already put in front of them. I think really you summed it up best in your first contribution. It's just a, a, an unseemly mess. Yeah. And yeah. But we will have to wait and see mm-hmm. what the chairperson has to say about yes, it exactly. at the Oireachtas Committee this week. I just want to turn to another story um, that's very political and, and perhaps the second big political issue that this government have to deal with is is health of course mm-hmm. but a uh, story today in the mail doctors fear GP, GP plan will fill capacity and this is about the health minister Stephen Donnelly insisting that the expansion of the free GP care will not overwhelm the family doctor practices did you have a look at this Natasha did. what did you make of it I did do you know my first impressions is that why is it that I feel this and I could be completely wrong Donnelly always seems out of step what's actually happening on the ground. I read it and of course GPs are concerned. And as one of their spokespeople from the IMO said, they need to do an, like trying to expand the service, I think the six and seven year olds, free charge, free GP care. To yeah, the, sorry, sorry. What, what they're trying to do here is expand it to six and seven, seven year olds with a means test of 46,000 yes, euros. free of charge. Exactly. Free of charge, yeah. Exactly, Mandy. And already under sevens are, are free. And over seventies. Yeah. And over seventies, yeah. exactly. But I think the point is here is that what they were trying to say is all, first of all, review and audit the capacity of the GP service in various locations and not all one size fits all. We already know and um, whether it's your own direct experience or we know um, from GPs around the country that they are absolutely out the door and mm. in burnout and that a lot of GP appointments are actually not being filled as in with regard to successive uh, GPs. So I just, I, you know, it just seems so out of step. Gary, with regard to where people where where the GPs are currently at, and I heard the minister saying yesterday that this would only increase the visits to GPs by three or four a week. And that point Natasha is making that GPs are under serious strain in small towns and communities all around Ireland. Um, do you think that this is one that's going to run on for for the government? Do you think that it's an important part of fixing the strategy for them, or is this another? Here you go. Uh, this is a, an, a great announcement and actually we probably haven't done the groundwork to, to back it all up. Yeah, I think it might be the, the latter, Mandy. I mean, John Cannon, the head of the IMO, is, is quoted in that piece in the mail as saying, I think most people will recognise we're on the cliff edge in terms mm. of possible capacity crisis. And three or four a week, I mean, three, four, five, that's one a day um, for a, uh, a group who uh, have consistently said, particularly since COVID, that they're at, uh, at breaking point. So that would seem to me to be a lot. We also know from the statistics that GP as a career has sort yeah. of like a collapse as well. That most young doctors, if they're not heading into Australia, they're certainly heading to something more specialised than uh, than GP um, care. So I think that is an issue. Uh, health 
as I sort of alluded to earlier, was the number one issue in the last uh, general election come the exit poll. We would expect it again to be pretty much at the top. Slauncher Care seems to have been type of forgotten about, mm. um, which was held up as the sort of great panacea to all our woes uh, just a number of, uh, of years ago. I mean... Th- Natasha's point about Stephen Donnelly, I think, is uh, is well made. It was very interesting. The government hitched its wagons back in December to uh, the same team, you know, in, um, and yeah. perhaps it might should have made a political change and when it had a chance. no doubt about it. It is one of the hardest <clears throat> portfolios. We all know that. But it just seems as a deep disconnect. And I don't know how close he is. To, to the hospitals and to the actual caregivers, to the GPs, in terms of being informed by them on a day-to-day basis. He just always seems to be out of step. And Natasha, just before the break, we were talking about the opinion polls and we yeah. were really focusing on Fine Gael there. But in relation to Fine Fáil and them taking these two most difficult ministries and, and there are no changes now, um, they're consistently at 16, 17% yeah. in the opinion polls. Do you think that they've found their level and that they're likely to use those um, government departments to actually, or can they actually demonstrate enough progress from a policy perspective to help them going into the next election? Or do you think that, you know, the problems within those departments are insurmountable and that ultimately this is why Fianna Fáil are consistently at those yeah. low levels in the You've said it. You've said it, Mandy. It's insurmountable. And what's what's beyond belief is that it has got worse. And that's something that's really difficult for us to reconcile. You know, um, the normal electorate like myself. It is. And the thing is, it's so complex. That's the problem with it. They're not easily fixable, you know. Mm. Um, so I think we are. We're going to be at a steady 16, 17, unless something utterly radical happens. Yeah, anything even, anything <clears throat> ultra radical on the Fine Gael, Fine Fall front no, coming through, Gary? No, no I don't, Mandy. I, I mean, in one way, this is a very laudable attempt by the government. I mean, free GP care for, for children, I think, is a very laudable uh, aim. And uh, I certainly don't have anything against that. Uh, the difficulty, of course, is you have to get buy-in from the uh, from the people giving the care and um, the doctors. But how does it fit into the overall strategic Well, I think that was part <clears> of, you know, that was, it was part of Slauncher Care, that they would, there would be such a, a policy, and it is—it's all about proving the health of the uh, of the nation at the end of the of the day. But you know, anyone who's been in accident and emergency recently, yeah. we heard um, the uh, the minister of health saying waiting lists have come down and waiting times. But you know, it's uh, it is a very difficult time. But Gary, the, the immigration and the immigration, the immigrants um, population has also increased massive pressure in some areas, and the aging population as well. And of the course. aging population while living longer, mm. so. It's I, I I feel it's such a siloed feel, it feels to me like such a siloed standalone initiative that's been taken without being part of the whole kind of strategy and strategic um, plan with regard to how are we going to fix our health problems. This it doesn't seem to me as an obvious way to fix it. Do, do you know what also struck me this morning is <clears throat> COVID now seems a very long way away and how quickly politics moves on and you forget maybe yeah. the value that we placed in certain people at a particular moment in time. We were very grateful to have Leo Vradker, a doctor in charge who seemed yeah, to so know what true. he was doing and his type of communication worked for us. Stephen Donnelly got us through COVID no yeah. matter what you say. Tony Houlihan also on the front pages today about that report coming through. I suspect that that job had been mooted for him a couple of years ago. Nobody would have asked any questions anyway. 
But the, the lesson is politics moves on and we are moving slowly now towards a local elections, Gary, mm-hmm. for these parties. And you're going to start seeing a different type of dynamic, I suspect, within the government. You probably are. But the, 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 the bottom line remains that I think when it comes to the, the local elections and then the general election, which could come at roughly the same time, there's some speculation the government won't wait because there's a sort of a there's a sort of a fatalism that sometimes happens if you wait till the very end. Now, Bertie Hearn mastered it in both 2002 and in 2007, going the full uh, the full distance. But then, of course, he was working with a you know 70 odd Fianna Fáil uh, TDs, and he his coalitions were, of course, one big party uh, and one very small party in the PDs. Uh, there's a different territory now, and uh, and Bertie had good poll numbers for for the most part. Whereas, as you uh, alluded to earlier, the poll numbers for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been consistently worse than they got in the uh, uh, in the general election. There's been all sort of governmental uh, bounce. If anything, I think there is a sense uh, amongst many people, uh, perhaps the young in particular. Uh, look, if you look at the demographics of voting, mm. uh, young people seem to think you know these guys have had their chance. It's uh, time for someone else. Most people are looking to Sinn Féin. It was very interesting at the Sinn Féin reshuffle um, at Mary Lou Macdonald did last the week before last. Uh, Owner Bryn stayed in housing, and David Cullinan stayed in in yeah. health. That was quite mm. uh, revealing in its own way. And those two will, I think, be front and center of the uh, the Sinn Féin electoral campaign. When it uh, when it happens, uh, but unless there are significant inroads made in both of the both of those issues, and we we I mean we we talk about this all the time, and nothing really dramatic has, yeah. has changed, and it's I think like that's a broken the, record. the problem for the government. Mm. Well, if the record is broken, uh, Sinn Fein are certainly singing a tune that most young people want to hear. Politics is about making people understand that you understand their problems and you got the solution. The missing bit for Sinn Féin is do they have the credibility to actually deliver them? But Natasha, for you, like are Mm. Sinn Féin the ones sort of appealing to the younger electorate most? They are and they're doing a really, really good job at it and they're staying relevant to who they're targeting. Absolutely. I think my one concern about Sinn Féin would be whether they have the political infrastructure and machine to run, um, to be in government. That's the only issue I would have. I'm not sure they're ready yet. And I mean, what I mean by that is the mechanics of how they yeah. run the party. The, you know, the, um, that, that, that intersection between a party and the and state the, and that's right. the civil service is yeah, important. Yeah, however, I, I have a huge time for Mary Lou Macdonald. I have huge time for Unabur- I have a lot of time for a lot of the the, the Sinn Féin um, um, uh, TDs. However, I think they're, I'm not sure that they're ready yet with regard to the mechanics. It's a very small coterie of about five or six and then there's a bit of a drop off in who they will even leave on uh, on uh, on radio shows like yours, man. <laughs> well, the most successful campaigns only need four or five really Indeed. good people. Anyway, you're very welcome back. You're listening to On The Record with me, Mandy Johnston, and I'm still joined by Natasha Fennell and Gary Murphy of DCU. Again, uh, and they're both helping me to get through the main stories in today's Sunday newspapers. Now, I want to turn to the Sunday Independent front page. Body cams must be able to ID faces, says Guard the Chief. This is Commissioner Harris uh, intervening in a long running dispute about uh, Gardaí's access to body cams. Gary, do you want to take us through this story? Yeah, the headline is body cams must be able to ID faces, says Garda Chief. And this is a letter that uh, the Commissioner Drew Harris uh, sent to the uh, Minister for Justice, acting minister, I suppose, uh, Simon Harris, um, for use of um, facial recognition uh, tech 
technology. And this comes, of course, uh, on the top of guard, the concerns about increasing attacks on members of the uh, the force. The difficulty is that there is a, seems to be a dispute within uh, the government. The Green Party, and Eamon Ryan is is, uh, is mentioned in, in the article by, by Hugh O'Connell, want this to be introduced not as an amendment to the Garda Síochána Bill, but as a, a specific a standalone, standalone piece, piece of, of legislation. Oh, well, the fear then is that that will t- take much longer to go through the um, the sort of the drafting process. But what's um, their rationale for wanting the standalone piece? I know civil liberty groups would, would yeah. have problems with this, but what's their rationale for I not? I think that is the, that yeah. is the big issue is the uh, is the is privacy uh, concerns and civil liberty uh, concerns um, and uh, Hugh O'Connell says that uh, Commissioner Harris briefed the, uh, the Green leader Eamon uh, Ryan on the rationale the police guard the rationale but that Eamon Ryan doesn't seem to be uh, uh, for turning he to quote the minister believes that facial recognition is such a powerful tool and evolving so quickly its potential use needs to be properly scrutinised in order to avoid impacts on people's freedom mm. and, and that is fairness, the, that's the issue that's, and that's what they do say in the article that they talk about the fact that I think it's 81% I, I don't know if there was in the UK according to these stats um, <clears throat> showed that actually some of that uh, a lot of those of that figure were innocent um, when it comes to face recognition, so it is a it is a big issue. It is a big privacy but, issue. But and the, I can see the reluctance. The other side of it, it, Natasha. On the other side of it, like we've we've all seen the video footage of Gardaí being filmed at these protests, often um, by the far right groups who um, abuse Gardaí. Like so, um, they they have to put up with an awful lot of abuse mm. themselves. And and in some ways this type of um, monitoring will be a protection for the Gardaí but also yeah. for protesters who get caught in up, up in it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it all boils down to um, how it's used ultimately. Yeah, and I mean how it's used and how often it's used and whether it does end up being um, you know, unconscious bias with regard to how people are treated um, whether it ends up being in people being victimised as a result of their look or their colour or their creed whatever. So it is a very, it's another it's another um, gear change to be honest, but with regard to how we in Ireland um, view and use our Gordi and with regard to how they um, protect us and but, protect themselves. But according to the Commissioner, it's not simply just about um, protests and, and, and arrests and, and the like. It's part of... Uh, the Gardaí's ability to uh, act internationally with uh, with colleague uh, with uh, colleague police forces across the globe, in particularly in the fight against uh, organised crime, and we mm. know how organised crime has ravaged uh, various communities here in um, in Ireland over the uh, over the years. So, I mean, the privacy concerns are, are real, of course, um, but I also think um, the concerns of the Gardaí are real. So, this is again a little tricky business for uh, the uh, the government. Eamon Ryan's view is that a standalone piece of legislation will then bring stakeholders into a committee and the, the worries of the, the Gardaí is this will just delay everything and uh, before you know it there'll be an election and who knows what another government might might think. That's it, yeah. The, the Garda Representatives Association obviously feel we're, we're playing catch-up already they in do. an international yeah. context yeah. and that this legislative process, as you say, will just slow it all down. And for sure you can see um, the type of difficulties that uh, it might bring with it from a a civil liberties point of view. But that said, I think we all need to recognise that there's surveillance going on all around us at all times. Yeah. Through CCTV and our streets and stuff. And I think regular regularising the situation for Gardaí might be helpful, I think, at this juncture. Um, I just want to turn to another story now, just very briefly on this one. Uh, It's on the front page of the Sunday Business Post. 
Um, Gary, tax man, name and shame at risk. This is about a landmark EU re- EU ruling, which is now being examined by well, Revenue and Finance. It's, it's a similar issue. The yeah. issue here is that uh, there has been a case in Hungary, of Hungary, all places, yeah. uh, of a um, the, the courts there have decided that uh, naming and shaming is not uh, not appropriate, uh, and there are no concerns, of course, that this might come uh, here in in Ireland. So, naming and shaming is uh, according to the Revenue, uh, and it seems. To be quite uh, to be a pretty clear cut case uh, is that this is what people want to avoid at all costs, um, <laughs> and is a very useful tool that the revenue has, where it issues lists of defaulters and the like, and that and it's again about privacy. Is it privacy that one pays a fine or one is whatever the case may be? Uh, should this be splashed in across the the pages of the newspapers or online? Um, and so, yeah, this in one way, it's it's much the uh, the same issue. And again, the concern of the revenue, uh, I think, the concern of the government would be that if this tool, the naming and shaming tool, is not available, Michael Brennan is right writes extensively about this in the inner pages of the uh, the Business Post. Uh, well, that could certainly have uh, an impact on revenue's ability to. Um, uh, to fight such uh, such tax uh, issues. Hmm. Natasha, you know what struck me about this story when hmm. you combine it with the other one and actually a lot of the stories in the Sunday Business Post that you see, how much of our regulation uh, and our legislation now is just European and we're either playing catch up with it or we're trying to implement it in some way. It's such an, uh, isn't it? It's such a... It's so obvious. You're so right. And it's how we are. We love regulation in Ireland. We love to. Any rules we can get our hands on, we just take them <laughs> and strap them onto ourselves and weigh ourselves down. <laughs> now, this is one that, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be, I would be okay with if we still continue to name uh, our tax avoiders. I'm okay with that, but you're so right. We're totally joined at the hip and um, we have some obsession with bringing in millions of regulations for absolutely everything. Okay, well, Some people, of course, might think that, like that, that, that a national past team then is breaking those regulations <laughs> or not, not abiding by them. Well, maybe that needs a, a whole other show. It Gary. probably does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I want to finally turn to a story that uh, popped out uh, to, to our producer in particular wanted us to focus on this today in the Sunday Times. Michelin chefs out to show kids aren't too young to dine. So presumably we all be taking our, our young children off to Michelin star restaurants now. But forget <laughs> chicken nuggets and chips. Children visiting one of Ireland's leading Michelin starred restaurants are being served 75 euro tasting menu. This is about an hour in Galway. Natasha, you're from Galway, aren't I you? I am. When you were growing up, were you and year is frequently <laughs> at the Michelin star restaurant? <laughs> I grew up in the Cunamara Gueltacht where we went down, Loads of Michelin down the back stars. of the, the house and got periwinkles from the rocks, uh, Mandy. I think it's great. I think there's nothing wrong with it if people are prepared to pay for it. It's fantastic. I mean, we were talking about this earlier on. When I grew up, there was probably the odd Italian restaurant, you know, the odd um, Italian or the chipper. Um, my first time in changing it, ch- tasting international food was in Australia, right? First t- tasted Thai food. People have travelled more. We have more ingredients available to us. We're, I suppose, trying to re-educate our children with regard to what to eat. So I think if you can pay for it, I think it's fantastic. Uh, Gary, have we lost the run of ourselves now? 
Well, it's a, it's a different. We talked earlier about housing and health. This is a different Ireland, perhaps in one way. The price is like it not doesn't come cheap. No, it doesn't. Uh, the the for, for adults it's one hundred and forty euros a head, and for children it would be uh, seventy five euros. Now, JP McMahon, who of course has been a great advocate for the the restaurant uh, business over the course of COVID, uh, as 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 we talked about uh, earlier, um, says that uh, it really depends on the age of the child. We've had precocious eight year olds that have had the full thing. He is. Uh, <laughs> Quoted as saying, and uh, I mean, I was looking at the menu earlier: uh, lobster cornetto, a savoury meringue with chicken liver pate, a broth <laughs> made delicious. with seaweed and mushrooms, and a cured salmon tart. Um, I think for many stressed parents bringing their, uh, their their kids into restaurants, that wouldn't be the first thing on on their mind. But if there is a, I think Natasha is right. If there is a demand for it, uh, so uh, so be it. No, we're far more cosmopolitan now. But I really feel sorry for it's a communion and confirmation oh, season coming yes, up now. So I feel right. very sorry for the parents who are bringing their, their kids out looking for uh, a four star meal or a five Interesting meal. I don't know whether Goa is the right market for it that's the only thing kind of concern I would have I would say it's more South County Dublin um, market and I mean that to the great respect to people of Galway we're very casual people like we well, really obviously they feel that there's a know, market for it there's a yeah. high demand in precocious children down <laughs> in Galway Munching on Cornetti what are they called? Cornetti lobsters yeah. lobster Cornettis or Cornettos yeah uh, Yeah I don't know what a lobster Cornetto uh, is uh, um, is it just like an ordinary cornetto except there's really, lobster and, speaking, and speaking <laughs> of restaurants there is also about two, two seconds to talk about this great sure. story the Sunday Times with regard to Kiev I was reading about you know obviously Ukraine continuing on and Kiev has extraordinarily come back to life in many ways because they have this amazing um, um, sh- I don't know what it's called shelter thing over it anyway to stop the bombs from coming in but anyway uh, they have restaurants which are basically serving um, champagne oysters um, beautiful food for people to come and get away from the bad news and they promise that if when Russia loses they will give free champagne to everybody in Kiev. And here is also a dog friendly restaurant apparently <laughs> which there is a demand for and a market uh, for as uh, as JP McMahon says in this okay. uh, in this piece. Okay okay well unfortunately <laughs> as much as I'd like to to continue talking about the Michelin stars for dogs I'm afraid that's all we have time for my thanks to today's panelists Gary Murphy of DCU and also Natasha Fallon from Stillwater. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.